Welcome into the 11 Dubcast presented by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. I am Bo. He is Johnny. It has been, it's been, I'm sorry I missed you last week. We, you know, I had some obligations with the Browns and so I was able to, I missed the show and I, I, I hate when that happens, but it did. And I appreciate you picking up the slack. And then in, in, not only that, my friend, but you land in an ex, in exclusive interview, you land <laughs> Rex Kern, who's my favorite Buckeye of all time. So we'll play that interview a little bit later in the show, but you folks have a real treat to look forward to, which is my good buddy Johnny talking to my favorite Buckeye of all time, Rex Kern. So we have, and then that's that's great because Rex is as good as it gets. Yeah, the the real sexy Rexy. So we're we're excited for that. That'll be fun. He he is really quick before we get into some of the other things. Just real quickly on him, I had the the great privilege of meeting him at the Rose Bowl in 2010 when we played Oregon, and when he walked into the room his presence was absurd and he hadn't played quarterback for high state for 40 years at that point um and yet he still had the gravity and was without question one of the kindest men and there must have been something in the water for all people who played at ohio state in the 70s and 80s (laughs) because archie griffin is like that clark kellogg is like that and rex kern's like that they will remember you meet them once they'll remember remember your name forever and they cannot be kinder and i don't know where that came from but the guys who played in that 70s and then you know late 60s 70s and through the early 80s are the kindest people you'll ever come across you know i've met so i've met archie a couple times and he's yeah i mean he's a class act he's he's everything everyone says he is he's just a really great dude including woody right like he's just an incredibly yeah. kind genuine human being and rex kern was the same way you know i'm, I'm texting yeah. him back and forth and he's just super gracious really nice about it and my favorite part about communicating with uh, rex kern is that he signed off every single one of his tweets with a thumb up a thumbs up emoji a rose emoji and a football emoji and i just thought that was the coolest <laughs> thing in the world and that's, a, so that's as good as that's better human being he's got a phd you know he's just yeah. he's just a really cool dude and we were really lucky that we got to talk to him so that was great good job out of you and he's he is he people don't realize how much of a stud he was as, as a football player and as an athlete he was drafted in major league baseball as well as the nfl um he he was a stud athlete just a total stud athlete uh the thumbs up rose uh football that's that's that supplants okay cool hook him as my favorite <laughs> auto sig that I I, that's that's come out in the last year that that takes over <laughs> that one that's better than that from one buckeye quarterback to another since last we talked and since last we did a dub cast tate martell officially gone and he finds a home at the university of miami i i was in the state of florida for a long time as many people know and one of the iconic local sports guys in the state of Florida was a guy who worked at CBS four in Miami named Jim Barry. He'd been there forever. And he was kind of like the Dean of, of Miami sports and Miami's from a news perspective, Miami is a big market. I think it's like the 13th biggest market in the country Um, for perspective. Columbus is like 31, 30, something like that. Miami's like 13, but what's, but more than that, Miami is probably the most like, from a news perspective, the most like LA that there is in the country. So yes. it's, it's big stars. The news people are big stars. There's a lot. Of, it's a ton of entertainment programming. It's a ton of CNBC. Uh, it's a ton of celebrities because so many of them live down there. Um, so it's a very Miami, Miami, LA are almost like sister markets. They, 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 very, they are very similar in terms of you got to do a lot to get their attention, especially from a sports standpoint. So I told you that story so I could tell you this. Uh, On the day that Tate Martell flew into Miami last week, this is what Jim Barry, legendary sportscaster in Miami, I'm I'm reading this verbatim. This is his exact quote leading into the story. Now, this was not in the sports. This was in the news. This was a block news. So this is how big of a deal this was in Miami. So this is a city with where you really got to make noise in order to get their attention. This was in the first segment of the local news in Miami. All right. The news anchor tossed to Jim Barry and Jim Barry said this. There he is, Tate Martell, the highest profile quarterback the UM has had in some time. The five-star quarterback, he could step in right away if he is cleared to play. Already a celebrity, here is Martell signing autographs. (laughs) We can't get this kid out the door fast enough. And the University of Miami thinks that he's the second coming of Baker Mayfield and and the media covering it. It was just an interesting, eye-opening experience into – the now now put yourself in these and before we get into that put yourself in Tate Martell's shoes okay you are 
on an Amazon series when you're uh, what a senior in high school, junior senior in high school, that QB one yeah, the, the Amazon Netflix, series, the QB one. Is it Netflix? Yeah, I think it's Netflix. Okay, okay. maybe it's whichever Amazon. Stream. It could be. I think it's Netflix, but I could one, be wrong about that. One of the streaming services. I didn't yeah. see it, but whichever one has it. All right. So you have a, you have a you have a a one of the biggest streaming services or the biggest company in the world. One of them is following you around. So you've got that. He's he's got what three hundred thousand social media followers. <laughs> All right. He is he is he is given everything in the lead up to attending Ohio to going to Ohio State. What you know, whatever you want. We'll build the recruiting class around you, so forth, so on. And two years later, by the way, before I get into two years later, every time that your head coach, who happens to be a legend, was asked about the starting quarterback, Dwayne Haskins, he had to mention Martell, right? To keep you happy. Yeah. And then you wake up after, at the Rose Bowl and you say, I'm ready to compete. It's my job. If Jason Field comes, I don't care. I'm going to win the job. And then you go to a basketball game and your head coach is sitting next to Justin Fields with the guy who just went to the Heisman Trophy. <laughs> and a week later, you transfer. And you yeah. go to Miami and who's waiting for you? But a television crew. And you've accomplished jack shit, right? <laughs> that's the truth. Well, on the football field, right? <clears throat> in but high in school, the world that's what of I mean. Social media and the world, but and that's online what I mean. and in the Johnny, terms of hype, how do you, you how the hell do you, how the hell do you come to grips with this if you're him? Well, I, I think he's been you're trying 20. to. This is what he's been cultivating since you know wow. he and his family since he was like a freshman in high school, right? He, it's he amazing, to, man. To Gorman, I you know this is this is what. Tate Martell has, I think, been preparing himself for and really wanted since he, you know, was a sophomore in high school. And so, you know, I think he can prepare for it because I think this is what he feels he deserves. I think this is what he no believes doubt. he absolutely is entitled to and what should be going on around him. And that's and that's fine. There, there's nothing wrong with that. But what I just I I think this speaks to uh how much things have changed just in the last five years with like the way social media is done. Like we talk about like, you know, coaches tweeting at recruits and whatnot, but I think now it's these recruits and these players kind of taking on this role of the social media superstar themselves. Like we we've made fun of like, yeah, Braxton Miller's going out there wearing his suits and like doing the, you know, the thoughtful, you know, poses at looking outside the, you know, the plane window and stuff like that. But that's yeah. part of it. That That's part of the whole it's game the now. And that's the brand. And Tate Martell has, with like 28 passing attempts been able to cultivate this brand where, you know, like you said, he goes down to Miami and they, he's the second coming in Christ. And that's more props to the guy. Like, I, I think that's, inc- I don't that's blame an incredible him. achievement based on right. almost nothing on the field. This is not a slam piece on Tate Martell. No, anything. I feel not. empathy. I don't know if I'm him, I'd leave too. I'd say the hell with it. I'm, I mean, I, clearly, clearly the current head coach doesn't like me better than they like Justin Fields. Right. Right. Justin Fields, Clearly, by the I way, don't fit in his plan. Sorry to interrupt, but Justin Fields is also on QB one, right? He's on that show with Tate right. Martell. So this isn't, this isn't just, you Fields, can also, like, you know, kicking the rock can, and going, oh, shucks guys. Yeah. I really want to play here at Ohio state. Like he's, he knows the game as well. Yeah. And, and by the way, that might speak. Now we're thrilled to have Justin Fields. He's incredibly yeah. talented, but I'll tell you something else. It might speak to why he's out at Georgia. Yeah. It very well might, because right. if you're Justin Fields, you think, well, who's better than me? Yeah. Jake Fromm? <laughs> you kidding me? I'll supplant him in two weeks. Yeah. Trevor Lawrence did it. Why can't I do it? Right. I mean, you're, you're one of the a, highest rated is, recruits exactly. all time. You're sitting right. there, you're going, I can beat, you know, I can beat, you know, Alabama. I can win the SEC. Like, why, why am I, why am I sitting here? You're, so holding absolutely. you're holding me. Come on. You're not holding me back. No, I was on a team. This is a, we have had mega, mega recruits have been around forever. Chris Spielman's on the cover of the Wheaties box, right? So, I mean, this has been around for a very, very long time. But this era with social media and like this QB1 show, this is different. This is, there's a, there is a feeling of uncoachable to this. And because these kids, well, I'm not waiting. I'm not going to wait. I mean, you think about like, I know this for a fact, Charlie Ward, who won the Heisman at Florida State, did not play until he was a redshirt junior. And neither did Danny (laughs) Cannell. And neither did, they all waited. It was always redshirt junior at Florida State. Well, and that's one of the- That's all you had to wait to play. I got to tell you something. 
that's one of the things that we talked to uh to rex about you know i'm I'm sitting there i'm like hey what about the freshman team you know in 67 you guys couldn't even start you couldn't even play you know you weren't allowed no. on the field because you were freshmen and i was i was asking him you know did you guys take on the you know the starters and like yeah we kicked the crap out of them every time what are you talking about and, that's, and i and i think the difference is, is that this is much more player centric than it was in the past like i'm from middletown right jerry lucas is one of the original like mega recruits right in the state sure. of ohio he was he was a lebron james of his time everybody was talking about jerry lucas and middletown nitties and all this other stuff but nobody knew who jerry lucas was and we talked to jerry lucas they just knew he was the best and thousands and thousands and thousands of people would go out to see him play basketball but you didn't know who he was and he everything that he did was at the you know dictates of ohio state and now it's i think it's flipped so much with what you're saying with the instagram and the netflix and everything else it's it's more player centered and so they have much more of a say in the direction about their careers and i don't necessarily i don't think that's a bad thing necessarily no i don't have it takes an adjustment it is an adjustment yes and I can't imagine being like, God bless my buddy, Jerry Emig, but like, how do you control these kids? <laughs> you know, you used to be able, if you're Ohio State, you could tell them no. Yeah. No, no, we're not saying that. Right. You can't now. No. You can't now. Uh, um, and, and it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And in fact, we've seen it play out. You saw it play out today with the quarterback of the Cleveland Browns, Baker Mayfield, who's taking shots at a, at Tony Grossi, a local writer in Cleveland. Right. Like, the Browns aren't don't want him doing that. But Too Baker bad. Mayfield is the first, he's the first, not the first, because there are others, but he's the first superstar, fully formed celebrity quarterback, who because Manziel was this too, but who is also great. He's great. Manziel wasn't great. He's a great player. So they can't like what are they gonna do? They can't control him. That's at the NFL level. We're talking about college kids. Yeah. This and is like a new said, world. To your point, I mean, I don't know that Jerry I think, is gonna be able to to rein no. in, you know, a dozen kids who really want to no. speak their mind, do what they want. I I mean nothing against Jerry. I mean, he's you know, he's good at his job, he knows what he's doing, but this is this is a different beast than what he I think signed up for, you know, about yeah. ten years ago or so. Oh, it is. Um and that's and you know it, things change quickly, and that's what's so I think jarring for a lot of fans sometimes. Like they'll see Tate Martell get on Instagram, and then you know kind of openly advocate for certain things, and they're like, "I just this isn't what I'm used to." And I don't think it's what anybody's yeah. used to. I think this is a crazy new thing, uh, but it's definitely going to take some. Uh, there's going to be an adjustment period, and yeah. the thing is, I mean, look, I have no problem with you know necessarily advocating yourself or be, even being arrogant to a certain extent. But I was talking to a buddy of mine and he made a good point. Like at a certain point, you're gonna have to back it up. And it's great to use your brand to get your name out there and to do what you want to do. But if Tate Martell goes to Miami and throws 20 interceptions and, you know, can't get them more than six wins, it's not going to matter, you know, how many followers he has on Instagram. At a certain point, you have to play. You may never play. Right. I mean, he's going to have to sit a year down there. Yeah. Are you, are we, are we, I mean, I don't, I can't imagine a scenario where he doesn't have to sit. So now we're going to, we won't see him play until 2020 <laughs> and he hadn't played high school football for three years. Yeah. And he's going right? to, he's just going to have a year to kind of chill in Miami. And, and, and I, I'm sure he loves that. I mean, bienvenidos a Miami. Like I think he's all about it, but he's just gonna be working on his brand for a year. And you're right. And we're supposed to say that like Manny Diaz isn't going to land a, a better quarterback in recruiting. Yeah. Who knows? So, I mean, it's this is, shoot. this is a wild, this is wild. Now kids have done this before. There's been others where this have, has happened too, where you're a big time recruit and you transfer all around. There were people who thought this would happen to Kyler Murray before he landed at Oklahoma. There was a kid right. named, um, there was a Kyle Allen kid who played it. Texas A&M that with then went with Herman to Houston and then went from Houston to Arizona State and you thought he disappeared off the face of the world and he ended up starting it starting for the Carolina Panthers in week 17. <laughs> like there it's a it's a wild thing and and it's just going to be more and more. The last thing on this I will say is Justin Fields better get cleared. <laughs> I mean they obviously think he's going to get cleared but it's just him and Matt Baldwin and then some transfer kid from West Virginia whose name I cannot pronounce. So like Baldwin's coming off an injury. I'll tell you what, Ryan Day needs some momentum out of the gates. Justin Fields better be eligible and he better be damn good. There's a yeah. lot of pressure on that kid. Yeah, there is. And it, I mean, I think 
Ohio State fans will be a little lenient in the first season, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, that's that's you're you're exactly right. And what if he gets hurt? Like that's the thing. You know, you can have this great you know scenario where he comes in and he's gangbusters and whatnot. But what if he gets hurt, like in ninety sure. percent of the seasons, like the, the depth in a lot of other places is difficult and i've been saying this you know since urban left is that you know this is much more of a rebuilding process than i think people appreciate in a lot of ways not necessarily that they're going to have a bad team or anything like that but you're going to see deficiencies that i don't think people are used to seeing in a lot of ways and you know high state's been super super lucky with personnel in some ways in the last like you know five six years and uh yeah it's it's gonna be it's gonna be incredibly interesting it's gonna be a trip i'm excited for it i like to see the evolution i like to see how things evolve and change over time uh, especially with an organization as large as ohio state football but uh, it's not always going to be smooth and i think people need to prepare themselves for that yes <laughs> i think <laughs> you're right yeah i mean and it's I, the other thing i would say on this is is the is that you talk about that tra- transition there's gonna have to be uh an adjustment into who you recruit there's yeah. gonna have to be your adjustment in the type of player you recruit i think what we saw this year was a transition from a power run spread offense to a flat out aired out offense past right. big 12 offense i mean that's what you saw this year and i think that's what they'll run next year with fields that's what they'll try to run is more of a big 12 offense so um yeah this is a this is a major transition i mean it's going to be fascinating i had i really had hoped tate would stick around through spring i would have liked to have seen him give it a shot against uh against justin fields he chose not to i don't blame him obviously so the writing on the wall um right. and i really think the basketball game was the final straw i really do i think <laughs> i mean i think that was it I know that seems silly, but I just really do. I think when when that happened, he's like, "F this, I'm out." Um, <laughs> I, I that's mean, how crazy this can be. But we talked about that a little bit last week. I just, you know, if I were Tate Martell, that would require an enormous amount of restraint for me not to just lose my mind publicly at that. I don't yes. think enough has been made about how incredible, how big of a slap in the face, really, that was how publicly. callous because it's. It's it's such that's cold blooded. It's such a dick move. It really is. It's it, that's it's a just, Joffrey move, man. Yeah, it's it's that's cold Joffrey blooded. Lannister, whatever the hell is Baratheon, Joffrey Baratheon. That is God. Yeah, and I don't think yeah. people made enough of it at the time, and no, I, I still was... think it's, it's mind blowing for a guy like to you know Ryan Day just like yeah, this is my guy. I don't care where the other dude is. He's in the he's in yeah. the arena. Who cares? I'm not talking to him. Who cares? He doesn't get to sit oh. courtside with Urban in the. And Haskins, crazy. Yeah. Uh, speaking of courtside, perfect segue into the Buckeye basketball team who lost for the fourth straight time. This was last Friday against Maryland. Um, I had said, I'm trying to, I think you and I both agreed on this too, that uh, our expectations we set for this team were as a bubble team. Um, yeah. Bubble in, bubble out all year. I mean, I thought this would be a major rebuilding year all year long. The early season success uh, provided us with a false sense of security in in what this team would be and i think what this team is is the team that we've seen in the last couple of weeks which is a team that when caleb wesson is hurt i'm sorry not hurt when caleb wesson is in foul trouble they don't know what to do offensively and he's been in foul trouble a lot and he can't stay out of it and they don't really have another option it's kind of like well it's your turn to shoot now it's your turn to shoot now it's your turn to shoot they don't know who to get they don't know who they don't have anybody they can rely on to get a bucket when they need a bucket and and so now you've lost four in a row and you've got Purdue here Wednesday, um, then at Nebraska, at Michigan, four in a row could easily balloon to seven in a row. Uh, yeah, very easily. Uh, in fact, I kind of think it will. What, Purdue Wednesday is probably the only one I give you any shot. And they just beat uh, Indiana last, I think, on Sunday. So um, this could easily four could go to seven. Then it gets easy. I think it's like uh, Rutgers and Illinois and Indiana and somebody else before Michigan State. But then it's a little. Then maybe you can get it back, but this has the potential to to be quite the swoon for for Holtman. His first real swoon at Ohio State. Yeah, and it's it sucks because you know you really did have a lot of optimism, and then you just kind of tank it. And a lot of it's personnel. I mean, you don't. I mean, yes, Caleb getting in foul trouble is not ideal at any <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. But the interior defense is just not there. You don't have a big no room protector really be reliable on. and honestly they're not really getting much help in that in recruiting in the next couple seasons either which is i mean that's that's another thing to kind of be worried about a little bit so this is 
you know, it, it part of it's the growing pains, but also part of it is, I mean, you got to figure out what works with the personnel that you have. CJ Jackson was a guy that I think they had hoped to rely on a little bit more in terms of scoring. He's not consistent at all. Um, you know, they brought in like Woods and everybody. It's just, it doesn't seem to be uh, a real well put together team right now, which is, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how you feel about it. I'm still on the side of giving Holtman the benefit of the doubt on this because I don't know much else what he could have done at this point. But I think by the end of the season, if you don't see something, not saying they got to be a great team or even an NCAA tournament team, but a more coherent team by the end of the season, I think that's going to be on him. And uh, going into next season, they're bringing in some good players, some really good players, but some of the problems are still going to be present and you got to figure out a way to win games without, a big, you know, a true big and a guy who can like play through the middle. So we'll see how it goes. I don't, yeah. I don't think it's the, um, you can play without having somebody in the middle, but you, right. you have to have people on the perimeter who can make their own shot right. and create their own shot. We do not have that. No. That will no. change next year. That will change. next. DJ Carton can get his own shot like that. Yeah. That'll change. Um, that will change next year, but there's nobody, there's nobody that you can rely on to go get you two when you need it to stop a run. Um, and, and Caleb is a, is a really fine big 10 basketball player, but he's not a superstar in any way, shape or form, but when yeah, he's, he's Caleb. out, Caleb, yeah, there's no, there's no place for them to, there's nowhere where for them to go. So it's just kind of, they, they're lost, you know, when he gets in any foul trouble. And even when he's in there, he's not, you know, he's not Jared Sullinger. So, I mean, right. this was, this was going to be a tough year anyway. And, um, and I think the last four games have proven how tough, I mean, you can't lose it at Rutgers. It can't happen. You, know? I mean, you just can't then you're, you lose it. Yeah. Then yeah, you're no the benefit of the doubt. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, and these next three are going to be, I mean, do you see them winning? I give them a little shot against Purdue Wednesday, but I can't see him winning in Lincoln. And I can't see him winning at Michigan. I think they get Purdue, but I don't think they'll get. I don't think they'll get Nebraska or obviously. I mean, Michigan's a great team this season. I I think they'll get one out of three, which sucks. But you know that's yeah. that's kind of where they're at right now. So that'll be one win in seven, uh, yeah. one in six in their last seven. That's that's a tough spot. Currently tenth in the Big Ten. Speaking of Michigan, as wrong as I was about Harbaugh's success, I was just as wrong about Beeline's success. I I had. When they hired him, I had no belief. I knew he could coach, but and I just saw an older guy at West Virginia, and I thought, how does that fit at Michigan in any way? <laughs> Excuse me. And boy, has he crushed it. Well, I thought so. The thing about Beeline is, I you know they had a couple of good seasons, and then they had maybe yeah. one or two like mediocre. And I was like, okay, that's it. Like the guy came in, he did his thing, but he's you know yeah. the rest of the conference is catching up with them. But they have rebounded incredibly well, and then this is looking like an ISO situation for Michigan. It is. I mean, think about the success that they've had in the tournament. They haven't won a championship, but they have been incredibly Played for two. Oh my god, yeah, and that's that doesn't happen very often. Like how many times no. has Tom Izzo gotten the championship? Like that's. That is a huge accomplishment. Just twice, right? Program. Yeah, I think he's only been. Play- I think he's only played twice. One once, which is great. One, but like, to, yeah. to be able to got get drilled to by the- Carolina and Detroit. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So the you know the ability to have that kind of success in the NCAA tournament and to win that consistently at Michigan, which you know, yes, they had some success in the '90s, you know, with the Fab Five and all that, but it's not a traditional basketball powerhouse. It, it really hasn't no. been. And he's built something really solid there. So that's, you know, if you're looking for an underdog status for Ohio state, it's something, you know, aspirational, knock Michigan down to, I think that's it right there. That's a target. And yep. yeah, I, they're really good right now. They're really good. They are. Yep. Yep. So critical time for Chris Holtman and his tenure. Be interesting to watch the next few games, see kind of where this team, if it sinks or swims. Uh, all right. Still to come. Uh, Johnny will join, uh, be joined by the great Rex Kern. A little bit later, we'll get to ask us anything. Before we do all of that, though, I want to remind you to be sure and visit 11 Warriors for dry goods, for shirts, hats, stickers, and more. That's drygoods.11warriors.com. Well, joining us tonight, we have this is a real treat. We're really, really lucky to have uh, Ohio State quarterback uh, Rex Kern legend at Ohio State and there's so many there's so many things that I really want to talk to you about uh, I'll start with this I will start with this I know that you're, you're keeping tabs on football and you watch what I say and all that stuff but 
Was there any point in time in your college career that you wish that you could have thrown 70 passes in a game like we saw this past football season? Uh, not, not really, Johnny, because <laughs> that, would, that would not have benefited our team. There you uh, go. That, that would have made us too one-dimensional. And you know what uh, we as quarterbacks during that time, uh, Mace, Ron Masejowski and Billy Long uh, in 1968, well, guys, what we had to do is try to manage how do you keep the talent in our running back, our fullback, our wing backs, our wide receivers, how do you keep everybody happy? Right. And if if we're just trying to keep the wide receivers happy, uh, I know Jimmy Otis and Larry Zelina and John Brockington and Leo Hayden and Ray Gillian and, you know, a whole host of others would say, hey, give me the ball. Let me run. <laughs> uh, you know, but we were an all really an unselfish group. And that was really the catalyst and the key to uh, – our winning component. We we just wanted to have fun out there and play and be successful, and we were able to do so. So can I ask you this? This is um, it's something that I we have talked about as a website. You know, when we go back to like the super super sophomores in '68, and there is kind of a I don't know if it's a legend or a rumor or anything like that, but I know that. Football was done a little bit better, or not a little bit better, a little bit differently, better better in some ways, but a little bit differently in the 1960s where freshmen weren't necessarily allowed to you know, participate in the same way that they might be today. So you guys had the freshman team. And one of the things that people have said is that the, uh, the freshman team in 67 would often play the varsity in scrimmages and really take it to them. Is that, is that true? Did you guys come out on top when you guys played each other? Every time. <laughs> uh, and, and, and not you know that's kind of boastful johnny but uh you know our, our varsity at that time they were great people they were yeah. great great people uh and when that group put a string of uh wins at the end of the season just think about this. If they win at Illinois in 1967, that means they're the Big Ten champ. Right. And they go to the Rose Bowl. And the next year, we are sitting in Columbus on New Year's Day because we win the Big Ten, but we can't go back. Right. Uh, there's no repeat rule. And then... In 1969, unfortunately, uh, the last game, we were up in Ann Arbor, and they weren't very nice to us, and I <laughs> helped that along. But we may not have gone because uh, Bo would have been lobbying to send his team, and uh, then we may have only gone to one Rose Bowl in, uh, out of three instead of going to two. But uh, that, that senior class, when we came in in 1968, had tremendous leadership, and our juniors were so welcoming to us as sophomores to be that it was just the perfect storm. And the sophomore group, we we, <laughs> I'm not sure we we knew enough to really be uh, challenged, not challenged, but. Uh, uh, really off our game, and we just kind of thought, well, we we practice all all year against the varsity, and we beat them all the time. And <laughs> you know how big is the Big Ten? Right. <laughs> so, or not how big? How how good is the Big Ten? Well, we found out, but uh, no, it, it it was quite an eclectic group of guys that really came together and more than anything else, Johnny, we, we enjoyed one another. We, we rooted for each guy. Uh, I, I mean, we, you would see the film of us on the sideline watching our defense play all the time. And you're wondering, okay, who's going to make the great play? Is it going to be Jack Tatum? Is it going to be Jim Stillwagon? 
Is it going to be Mark Steyer, Bill Urbani, Paul Schmidlin? <laughs> uh, you, you, you just go down the list, and guys are saying, whoa, did you see that play? And that was just uh, a wonderful time for us to come together. But like you mentioned, you started this thought process was, I think we do a great disservice to our intercollegiate football players by saying, and and basketball players and all college kids today, that you can compete as a freshman. Because that was a year where we got to know one another. That was the first time we were away from home. We're in an educational environment. Uh, During those days, we didn't play maybe two or three or four games before we started class, but maybe one game. And you had an opportunity as a freshman to go to class, to understand what the college environment is, to group and bond with your classmates as freshmen, and then move forward. And and that 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 really speaks volumes. And it, it's a sad commentary where we see uh, the young kids, and I know it's a different day and different time, but who come out early, go to the NFL, get hit or get hurt, get hit uh, a different way, and you know their career is over, and they right. haven't even. They haven't even gone to two and a half years of college. And what do you then, think? Sorry, go ahead. And then for them to come back in school, uh, there's probably not a high percentage of those guys that really do come back. Now, I know at Ohio State and many universities across the land have scholarships or a fund, which uh, our national championship team now provides for those guys to come back and work on their undergraduate degree. But uh, I don't know how many of those take advantage of that. What do you think, what do you think is the cause of that? Because I, I mean, I, I, I talked to you before we started recording, you know, I'm a high school teacher and I certainly myself place a huge emphasis on the educational component of it. And we love, you know, talking up players who excel academically and do these really great things, you know, in the classroom and whatnot. But I mean, in my opinion, I would say it's probably like the environment around college sports in general, right. Where it's become much more, it it feels, it's not a professional sport, but it's treated as a professional sport. So I would say, I mean, I don't know how you feel about it, but I would say that's, that's a big contributor to that. Well, I I think, um, I think, Johnny, it's difficult because once the guys get out and or sign or come out, most of those guys will get a signing bonus. And uh, again, their livelihood, I, I don't know how many of them, myself included, when I interviewed after I retired from the NFL, I don't remember any one of my future employers saying, well, Rex, how fast did you run the 40-yard dash? <laughs> and how much can you bench press? And how much can you do in your pull-ups that you right. have to do? Uh, you know, those just aren't questions. The first question is, what'd you graduate in? Right. And and Johnny, during our years, uh, I did a longitudinal study for Woody's first 25 years at the Ohio State University. He was the head football coach. And Woody had a graduation rate of all varsity players, football players who played for him his first 25 years, 87.6 graduated. Another another 37% went on to graduate for professional school. Yeah, that's fantastic. And you don't hear that today only because kids can come out early 
and they can start they can start that journey down the NFL which uh again you know I was not uh, a long NFL player because of injuries and what happened to me uh certainly can happen to anyone else that uh an injury comes up and you're just not able to play and then what do you do thereafter and i think with the 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 kids today coming out early uh there's so much emphasis put on that next level i can go to that next level and they might think that they can retire with all the zeros behind that number but only a few of them can do that even if they make it uh, two or three years. Um, so uh, that, that, that's really one thing that when I was recruited at Ohio State, uh, many of our viewers might know or might not know, but Fred Taylor, uh, the basketball coach, started recruiting me long before Woody Hayes did. Right. And both Fred and Woody always talked about first thing you'll do when you come to Ohio State University, you'll get a great education. You'll have the opportunity to play great football, great basketball, and you'll make lifetime friends out of all your teammates. Well, and all actually, those things came true. Yeah, I actually want to ask you about that. So, unfortunately, the Ohio State community lost Jim Stillwagon in 2018. Um, yeah. We kind of want to know what do you have a, a favorite Jim Stillwagon story? <laughs> uh, well, all right. Well, yeah, I, I snickered because there are so many Jim Stillwagon stories. <laughs> uh, but but uh, it's uh, Jim was one of my my very very good friends and and co-captain uh, along with Doug Adams and Jan White when we were seniors. But uh, Wagon almost never played for us because uh, at the end of spring practice. I was having difficulty with a hamstring injury, I thought, but we later found out about middle of June that I had ruptured a disc in my back and I was going to have to have spinal disc surgery. And in those days, they never thought you would come back from back surgery. And so uh, I had my first disc surgery uh, late June. And I put the pads on uh, mid-August, about 45 days later. And in one of our very first scrimmages, of course, I wore a gold jersey during practice all the time because if I got hit, Woody was afraid I was so fragile I'd get hurt, which was probably <laughs> the case. But anyway, I'm wearing a gold jersey in a scrimmage, and so guys just had to hand touch me, and that would be the end of the play. Well, right. we're driving. We're driving on the number one defense, and you got Jim Stillway in the middle guard. You got Mark Steyer, and you got uh, Dirk Warden, and Biller Bannock, and uh, Brad Nielsen, and Spencer Ball, and Tatum, and all these guys. And so we come up a little short. We're we have fourth and short. So Woody huddles us up, and he said, "Okay, we're going to run the option," and Rex. You don't have to pitch, and you'll probably fall forward for the first down. <laughs> so we come out, and we run the option right side, strong side play. And lo and behold, I get hit from behind, and I feel like every bone in my body is broken. <laughs> the scar tissue must not have held. And I'm lying on the ground just crushed. And Woody's gone berserk, and it's Jim Stillwagon who hit me from behind. Woody said, "Woody said, get off the team. You are thrown off. You're off this field. Get out of here. Go to the locker room now. Get on a shower. I don't want to see your face." And and, and so Wagon, Wagon, he he got off the field, and he's in the shower, and his position coach Bill Mallory comes into the shower and he goes, Jim, Jim, you did the right thing. You did the right thing. Jim goes, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. 
he he said, I'm leaving. I should have gone to West Virginia in the first place. I'm leaving. I'm leaving here. And he goes, no, no, Jim, you can't do that. Jim goes, no, I've had it. I'm, I'm not staying here. Well, Woody got in there before Wagon could get out of the shower, too, and he, he said, Jim, now come into my office. I want to have a talk with you. And he sat Jim down, and he said, now, Jim, how would your mom and dad feel if you left Ohio State and went to West Virginia? And they'd have to drive so much further than they would to come down to watch you play in a horseshoe. Now, that wouldn't be very nice of you to do that to your parents, would it? And so, so, so Wagon became an instant uh, friend, but enemy of mine. And, uh, it, it, and, and I, I think, Johnny, they, that may be the last time we ever scrimmaged against uh, the number one defense. Yeah, because, I would imagine. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it, it, they, they were just brutal on that side, and they wanted a piece of us just like we wanted a piece of them. Yeah. But uh, that, that's, that's my favorite uh, Jim Stillwagon story. That's pretty fantastic. I'm, I'm glad I'm glad you were able to put yourself back together again after that. Yeah, um, so was I. <laughs> uh that's pretty fantastic the other you know the other thing that i wanted to ask you about is uh about coaching in general right because you know ohio state is currently going through a coaching transition and i mean from your perspective how do you think coaching football in general has changed from the time of woody hayes and, and as incredible a coach as woody hayes was you know, his responsibilities, his role wasn't quite the same as what, you know, a Ryan Day today would be. So, like, how do you think things have changed? And maybe what kind of things do you wish coaches did more of today? Oh, gosh, uh, that, that's the double barrel there. You know, <laughs> co- coaching coaching today has so many elements anymore. I, I remember my dear friend Jimmy Trussell when he was our great coach there at Ohio State. Yeah. And uh, I was fortunate to be uh, named and inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in 2007. And I lived in California at that time. And at about 10 o'clock at night, my phone rang. And I looked down, and it was Jim Tressel calling me. <laughs> and I answered the phone. I said, hey, Coach, what are you doing calling me? Because this was, uh, I think... Uh, it was still toward the end of the season. And he said, well, Rex, he said, you know, I've got 97 kids and I've just finished all these emails and I don't think texting was in, or maybe it was on in its infancy at that time. Right. And he said, I said, but Jimmy, it's one o'clock in the morning. It's time for you to be home. Right. He goes, as soon as I hang up with you, I'm headed home. Now, Woody would have been there watching film all the time, but the elements that the coaches have to handle anymore today with the, uh, you know, I talked to some of our uh, guys and gals back there who are involved with, you know, the NCAA rule book, and they say, hey, it's no longer a pamphlet. It is a, a... it's a Webster's Dictionary. It is so big, and you know, any school can be in and out of compliance any time of the day. And if if you look at our flow chart over in athletics, and from Gene Smith on down, holy Toledo, you got so many people involved in the program. You know, we're not talking just about strength training or academics we're talking about food we're talking about all different areas that the head coach has to manage that whole element and uh when when we played it wasn't as diverse although we had a lot of those elements we had our brain coach and of course that was jim jones our uh, brain coach who became our athletic director there at Ohio State, but right. it was also uh, you know Woody you Woody had a pretty doggone good system of recruiting that he had committee members all set up that would help in his recruiting, 
but it, I don't think it was that extensive. And then on the on game day, uh, you see individual coaches having more say or input before Urban finally made that decision on, okay, we're going to run this defense or he's going to let the defense handle all that, but he's going to have the final say or agree with what Ryan Day is going to call offensively. Uh, but I just see more moving parts all the time than what we saw. And it was a little simpler. And the offenses and defensive defenses have become a little more complex. But yet it still comes down to blocking and tackling. Right. Uh, but it, it, there are a lot of pieces involved in this. Well, I, I got to tell you, it's been a real treat talking with you. I have I have one last question I want to uh, to ask you because in addition to being elected to the Ohio State varsity, you know, o, you know, varsity O Hall of Fame and the Ohio State Football All Century Team and the College Football Hall of Fame, you also have a PhD in education. I myself uh, am an educator. You know, I'm in education. I have a master's in education. I'm a high school history teacher. Um, that's my main gig, and. I would love to ask you about um, basically a really specific thing that I learned about uh, when I was in college and what I teach kids about uh, when it comes to like Vietnam in the 1970s. Uh, in late April, or early May of 1970, there were uh, protests and riots on Ohio State's campus. And I did some research on this in college. I interviewed people who were involved and I, I got a really amazing photograph of uh, Woody Hayes on the Oval with all these other people, you know, like communicating and talking and protesting and whatnot. And one of the things that I've always wondered is how active was Coach Hayes in that particular event? And and was he down there? Was he looking for players? <laughs> was he talking with, you know, people who were on the Oval? What was his involvement with that? Uh, Woody was just going down to try to calm tensions on campus and talk to the agitators and also the people who were protesting. And Woody was uh, very active. In fact, uh, just digressing a second, Johnny, right after we won the national championship in the Rose Bowl, the next morning, Woody Hayes had us all together and uh, we had a meeting and Woody was headed out the door to go to Vietnam. He and another football coach down at Ohio U, the head coach there, Bill Hess, were going to Vietnam to visit our troops and wow. talk to them. And so Woody, oh, Woody was, uh, you being a history guy, uh, Woody would love to talk to you. He'd talk your ears yeah. off. You wouldn't even get a question in. He'd be <laughs> saying, you ought to ask me this question. Right. Because, you know, we were involved, or uh, myself and some of our other uh, varsity old guys were involved in uh, getting a scholarship endowed in military science in Woody's name. Uh, Woody just, uh, he, he was a great historian, but he really believed that we should be active in our politics, but we should do it in the right manner and not tear up the university or tear down the game of football, but we should support it and encourage it and do it in the right manner. And that was what Woody's goal was on, <laughs> on, on <laughs> campus. In fact, a little known story was one of our walk-ons who eventually became a scholarship athlete for us. He was our center. And uh, Woody called him into the office during that time. And he said, now, Jim, he said, no, well, Jim walked in. I'm not going to give you Jim's last name. But Jim, <laughs> Jim, Jim walked in and Woody's got all these books piled up on his desk. And Jim sees Woody, and he knows that Woody's a vociferous reader. Sure. And Woody says, now look, see these books? I want you to go home and read these books. And I know it's finals, but I need you to infiltrate 
those troublemakers over on the Oval because <laughs> these are the books that they're reading and they're studying these things. And I want you to go over there, infiltrate, and come back and report to me every day of what they're thinking and what they're saying over there. So <laughs> I'll bet, I'll bet, I'll bet, Johnny, some of the, some of what you may have seen in the picture, Woody was probably spewing back to them why they oh, shouldn't sure. be reading those books, or uh, he was trying to counteract what they were uh, saying and doing. But well, uh, that's, that that was Woody. That was Woody. Yeah. That's a fantastic story. Yeah, I like I said, I really, really appreciate you talking with us because that all of these stories, all this information is just incredibly amazing, and it's it's been a really great honor talking to you. So thank you so much. Thank you for coming on. Okay, Johnny, thanks for having me. My pleasure. Don't forget to follow the Eleven Dubcast on Twitter and rate and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, my friend, ask us anything. Time. What do you have for us today? Well, just as a reminder, guys, if you'd like to ask us anything, please continue sending in those questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com. That's email and uh, at 11dubcast on Twitter. Let's uh, let's start with our good friend Alvin here. Alvin just wants to know, all right, so a couple weeks ago, um, he wanted to know how Ohio State will fare next season. Uh, assuming Fields can play, uh, it's a big <laughs> assumption. Well, I don't know if it's a huge assumption. I think he's going to play. Uh, is it yeah. playoff or bust next season, given the personnel of Ohio State? No, not for me. I think if Urban was were the coach, and then I, then I would say that um, Ryan Day. I, I think it's I think it would be Alvin absurd to put that expectation on him, based on a guy who's never been a head coach before, other than a three game <laughs> audition. Yeah, um, with a first round quarterback talent in Haskins. So I don't put playoff or bust. I mean, I think if you can you know, you know, beat Michigan, win the big 10. That's, that's success. I, I don't, I, I, I don't have any expectation beyond that. Do you think, and even that's I mean, big. You know? Yeah. Cause I, I mean, honestly, right. That's yeah. That's not whatever. That's nothing. Who cares? You can just do that yeah. and snap your fingers. Uh, do you think Ohio state fans will feel the same way? Cause that's, I'm, mean, cause I agree with you. I definitely agree with you on that. I, I'm less certain that Ohio State, I mean, I said earlier that I think Ohio State fans will give them a little bit of leeway, and I think they will. I'm not sure if I'm going to be right about that or not. Who's Who do you think is the most beautiful girl in the world? Like for you right now, if you get <laughs> like you're obviously. happily married, you're happily yeah. married, but if she gave you like the, the friends analogy where you get one night and she's cool with it, she totally understands who's, who's the girl for the sake of We've had this discussion before. Uh, me and my wife have. Uh, <laughs> I would say probably Emily Blunt. Okay. Fantastic. Uh, and good choice. All right. So let's say you'd get, let's say you date Emily Blunt for a year and you get everything that comes with dating Emily Blunt. She's a superstar. She's an actress. She's gorgeous. Uh, sex is great. All those things. And then Emily Blunt decides, you know what? I think I'm going to go back to the guy from the office, Johnny. It's been a good run. We'll see you later. (laughs) And then then I would understand that you would. And then let's say, but, but then you would also understand that anybody that you are with after Emily Blunt, no matter how wonderful they are, they're not Emily Blunt, mm. right? You're not going to sure. an Oscars party. You're not going to premieres. She's not a 10. She might be a nine. She's not a 10. But how, okay, but I guess so the my question point is, how, you how much have how, to. How highly do I feel about myself, though, I guess is really how I would answer that question. Though, well, right? you know who you are. Well, do you I? You landed I mean, Emily Blunt. Thing, like some, self-delusion can be a very powerful thing, is all I'm saying. And I, I think a lot of Ohio State fans are like, we're entitled to this. It doesn't matter if who you, If you think you're going enti- with. No, no, it does, though, because a man, you gotta, man's got to know his own limitations. I agree with that. So you got to yeah. understand the limitations of your program. If, if you have the best coach, the second best coach in the last 30 years to coach college football for mm-hmm. seven years, you cannot expect that. I mean, even if it... <laughs> Hell, I don't think you can expect what Tress did. Now, yeah, and all I he mean, did that, was lose to Michigan one time, win a national championship. Like, I can't, you can't have those. That, Ryan Day is the most unproven coach at Ohio State since Paul Brown. Yeah. Oh, Wes Fessler, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Going I mean, to the 50s. And maybe he is Paul Brown. I don't know. Maybe he can be. But to expect that, no, not me. And if you do, then I think you need to think about the get a better understanding of the total situation yes yeah, that's i mean that's just what well, I. well it's think on you really, i guess then 
if you date Emily Blunt for a year and then you think you can go get, I don't know, whoever it would be, Scarlett Johansson or whatever. Sure. Like, then you got to be able to say to yourself, well, Emily Blunt was a one-off, right? <laughs> We're not going to do better than that. Yeah. That's, I mean, to me, that's what I think is just so fascinating about all this, because I, I think there are a lot of Ohio State fans who see John Cooper be really successful in the 90s. They see Jim Trussell win a championship and be super successful in the early 2000s. They see Urban Meyer just pop in, basically in the best timing in history for Ohio State football, and then win a championship and be successful. I am very curious. Maybe the people who write in for Ask Us Anything can tell us this. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about this. Do you think that that is a given or a incredibly ridiculous fluke of history that Ohio State has been able to take advantage of? Because I agree with the latter. I know, I know several people personally who agree with the former who think this is just how Ohio State works. They're okay. going to get great coaches well, no matter think, what. There's not going to be a downturn you, at all. If you think that's how Ohio State works – Go ask USC, go ask <laughs> right. Texas, go ask Michigan, go ask Alabama before Nick Saban, go ask Florida, go ask Florida State, go ask Miami, go ask Georgia. Not all of those have the same resources you do. Some have better resources than you do. Right. Texas does. USC does. Yeah. You're not immune to it. You're not immune. Yeah, it, it can happen to anybody. Now, I think Ryan Day will be a success. But if you think that he, if your expectation now he may be as successful as Urban, but if your expectation is he's successful as Urban, I think you're gonna be let for disappointment. Yeah. And and I, but buddy, downturn can happen anywhere. Yep, absolutely it can. And and you, I mean, you, people can't fathom Alabama being garbage, but they were 100 garbage. They had like you know they were when I was down there. When yeah. I was in the South, they were completely irrelevant. Right. They couldn't recruit. Nobody gave a damn about Alabama football. When I was yep. in the South in the early 2000s, nobody until Saban got there. I mean, they went 15 years for, with nothing. Look at Texas, how long it's been. And, and maybe Herman's got it figured out. Maybe not. Look at USC since Carol left. USC has every advantage. U.S. coaches, uh, and I have. You asked, I've asked uh, John Cooper this, Tress, others, what's the best job in the country? And they will say USC is the best job. Yeah, all the talent in the world, all the money in the world, all the suns out every day. You're in it's LA. The best job. Yeah. yeah, it's the best job. And and how yeah, long, babe, how long has it been? <laughs> right. It's and hard. That's, and, and that's the thing, man. Like any, and it's just because coaching obviously is such a big deal in college, and it's just you know one bad turn. If Urban's not available, you hire Bo Pelini. Or whatever. I mean, what does the last yes. six, seven years look like at Ohio State? I mean, that's and that's that's what blows my mind about that. I just think it's so interesting how tenuous a lot of this can be sometimes, like how fragile it can be, because it really is like you haven't it's it's luck of the draw a lot of the time. So I just totally. I, fascinating to me, and I'm really curious to see how people react to uh yeah. the Ryan Day era once the games start being played. Last one here, real quick. Uh, this is from Bill. Bill simply wants to know with the the fact that winter has finally arrived in Ohio, which is nice. Mm -hmm. I, I enjoy the I enjoy the cold. I love I like winter. Feeling it, you know. Yep. Uh, what's our favorite outdoor winter activities? What do we like to do? And you have, I think, more experience in this avenue than I would. But I love all of it. Uh, my yeah. favorite thing that that I did growing up in Montana was snowmobile. That that Ooh, was the most God, fun. That sounds awesome. I would love to it's do that. One day. Fantastic. It's basically jet skiing in the snow. I mean, it's yeah. incredible. Um, that's the most fun you can have. Um, skiing. I love to ski, grew up skiing. Um, I love to sled. Uh, I built a fort with my boys on Sunday. Fantastic. Exactly. A tunnel awesome. system. It was like Winterfell. So, um, yeah, it was, I, I love all of it. I, my, my suggestion is, and I noticed this when I moved to Columbus more so than now living in Northeast Ohio, I noticed when I lived in Columbus that by and large, it's, and maybe it's just the uh, topography of Columbus mm -hmm. where there aren't that many hills and stuff to sled. Um, I noticed that like in the winter in Columbus, people just bunkered in. Like yeah. they just it's hard put to put on a sweater and nobody goes outside. And I'm like, I told my wife, like when, when I first moved to Columbus, I'm like, sweetheart, we are, I'm living in winter. So get your snowshoes, get your cross country <laughs> skis. We're going to go to Mad River Mountain. We're going to go sled uh at, at the sled hill off riverside like that's what we're gonna do like i'm not gonna stay inside for six months while it's cold so you gotta yeah. live in it so so get out there and, and and live damn it yeah i'm i'm with you on that i would say my favorite you know i 
Ohio's unfortunately pretty flat. I, you know, I love, I love sledding when I was a kid. I just love building things. I love making forts. I love making giant oh, snowmen. Awesome. I love yeah. my specific favorite thing. And I honestly, so when I lived in Japan, I kind of had the opportunity, the program I was in to kind of pick where I wanted to go. And I didn't get to go where I wanted to go, which was uh, Sapporo in, a, in a Hokkaido, which is the northernmost um, uh, island of Japan. And they have this gigantic snow festival every year. And my favorite thing is to construct, you know, you construct either a fort or just some kind of seating arrangement. You get some food, you get some drinks, you get some friends, you just chill out for a couple hours in the snow, you relax. I love that. I just love being out, eating some food, drinking some beers, whatever, just having a good time outside. Um, yep. You don't have to be running around. You don't have to like do crazy stuff, but just appreciate it. Enjoy the scenery. I, I love that stuff. Cause one of the things I wanted to do was go to the snow festival. They have these giant igloos you can sit in. They've got like, oh, that's fantastic. Some of them. They can, they yes. got a little fire pit in the middle. You can use, I would, I love that. Instead, they yeah. stuck me in the fort of Japan. Uh, it snowed <laughs> once <laughs> and the coldest it ever got was like 30 degrees. So, oh, that stinks. Yeah, yeah it kind of sucks. But it's, it's, it is what it is. And we've, you know, we've had a nice, nice little actual winter the past couple of days. So that's been fun. Uh, all right. One ask us anything from me to you. You've seen the Game of Thrones teaser trailer. Yes, I have. John, yeah. Sansa, Arya walking in the crypts. It mimics the scene from uh, from Ned and yep. uh, Robert as they walk to see Ned's sister. Uh, there's even a feather that falls out of her hand. Um, as a book reader, as someone ensconced in this, uh, can you take <laughs> anything from this at all? No. I mean, okay. So, yes. Yes and no. There is nothing uh on the like contextually like actually in the books that i can remember where that references much of anything there is a fan theory out there that suggests that there is something buried in winterfell's crypts that will help Jon snow defeat the white walkers and okay. it's supposed to be and in his mother's grave like in her crypt that will help him defeat the White Walkers. I don't know if that's foreshadowing anything like that. I don't really know what the feathers well, that's all about necessarily. Uh, well, that's that the one that Robert answer. put in her hand, so that would oh, tie into that. That's right. I didn't. I totally remember. Forgot about Robert that. puts that in her hand. That's in right. Season one, episode one. That's right. I totally forgot about that. So yeah, that so that could be it. Because there's a because the song is like. You know, because the whole thing is a song of ice and fire. That's supposed to be mm -hmm. like one of the theories that that's going to be made literal towards the end. Like there is going to be an actual song and it comes from her crypt. And she's talked about as having this like lyre, basically like the, the musical instrument. Um, mm -hmm. So that could play into it. I'm not exactly sure, but that would be really interesting if that bore fruit, because that's that's been a fan theory for a long time. That doesn't have a ton of textual evidence, but it's uh it's one of my favorite fan theories. I think it's really interesting. So that could be. Well, part that's of a it. pretty good one. Yeah. Yeah. As as what we're away. Am I? Oh, good lord! I mean, I yeah, <laughs> I can hardly. I mean, it was on a lot. It was on a lot while I I was really sick over the break. Yeah. Um, for a week or so, right around the first, and we traveled a lot. I had a million things going on, so um, I was able to watch a lot of it while during that time because they were running the marathon. Um, so what I. I, and if it was on, I watched what I f found was amazing was um, like, I've, I've forgotten. I certainly didn't forget the scene, but like the I remember being, I can't remember how pissed I was with the, the death of princess Shireen, how stupid that was. Oh, God, um, it, yeah. It was just so stupid it's and there was no weird. fruit to it. It was yeah. just gratuitous. Right. And I just thought, and I was like, boy, that, that really sucked. And, um, but it's so good. And it, and I, I've heard a lot of people, everybody comes at me with the White Walkers win, Night King wins. I just, I can't see a, that doesn't make any sense to me. I just don't think like when, you, think when, the, when these guys go to HBO and pitch this thing, I don't think HBO is going, yeah, we're going to sign up for spending $350 million on this fantasy medieval show that ends with a zombie winning. I mean, I just, yeah. <laughs> I don't think that adds up at all i mean that might no. be what george R. R. martin wants to do with his stuff but i, I don't even i wouldn't know you'd know that more than he's, me but he's said, i don't sense always that. said that it's going to be like a bittersweet ending so i really i mean i think they're going to be defeated some way i, I think because here's what i've always said about the white walkers you know, 
some people who read the books are all about the White Walkers being, you know, this, we're going to find about their culture and whatnot. I'm like, no, 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 they're, they're hubris personified. That's the whole point of the White Walkers. Like they're essentially supposed to, if you're, if you're really looking for like a, you know, maybe an allegory that they're trying to represent, I think they might be like nuclear weapons or something like that. They're not, they're not there to be personified. I don't think they're there to, to win. They're there to inflict injury on the main characters. And so we'll see how big yeah. that injury is, but it, they're not going to win. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I am certain that like, there's no way that like John and Danny get a happy ending. I mean, one of them's gone. I don't think so either. For sure. And, um, and I think a lot of the people that you really love are going to go. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, um, my, my theory is that, that John and Danny had a, will have a kid and that'll be the, the eventual heir to the thing. I mean, that's in my head, the way that I think it's going to go. I always say like the person most deserved to win would be Cersei because she's played the game the best in my view. Yep. Like, she has really no advantages other than a, a, a wealthy last name and has kind of survived all of it. And she's mm-hmm. ruthless. And so if it is just like who's played the game the best, her and then Sansa has played the game really well, too, considering the pure hell she's been through. Um, right. She's navigated it. So, um, you know, John's an idiot. Like, I can't see him winning. Like, he's dumb <laughs> at everything. No, he's he's too he's too prideful. I, I don't see it. My my if I'm putting odds on it the way I think it would work out is everybody's doing their best. They end up defeating the white walkers. They end up dying. Cersei's Cersei is the one who comes out of this, you know, the cleanest, the most alive really. And she's the one who ends up getting credit for the work that everyone else did. And she becomes this really, you know, well-known good queen of Westeros. You know what I mean? Cause that would be, that would be yeah. the ultimate irony <laughs> that the person who's like the most underhanded, despicable person in this whole thing ends up remembering by history for all the things that someone else did and then is like considered to be one of the greatest heroes of Westeros. That would to me be a pretty appropriate ending for the game of Thrones, but yeah, we'll that's what I think would be. A, I agree with you, but I think she, she ends with Jamie with the sword in her. That's the way and I that, think that. And not, yeah. I'm talking the, his actual Valyrian steel sword. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We'll I, see how that goes. I think Jamie's going to, I feel like that's a lock that he's taken her out at some point. Yeah. Um, but no, I yeah, I think you're going to lose a lot of people. But I don't, I I don't see a scenario where the Night King wins. I just that that doesn't yeah. add up to me at all. But I can't I wait to discuss it. it when we get there. Absolutely, I'm I know, I'm I'm super pumped for it. <laughs> I know, and I can't wait. All right, buddy, good stuff out of you. Great stuff with Rex. We want to thank Rex Kern for going on. One of the great, uh, great men and great Buckeyes of all time. We hope you enjoyed that. And we'll be back next week for more fun. We'll talk yeah. to you next week, buddy. Talk to you next week.